Welcome to Meteor Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. How have you been? Welcome, everyone. Been great. Been great. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's the never-ending Groundhog Day experience with this movie, just waking up every day and continuing to work on it. And it's just crazy to put together a feature-length film. Um, and the reason that it took so long to get it out, and it still isn't out yet, but it's coming out soon, um, is because we added another huge section to the film. We came across this crazy top-secret Israeli military document from 1949 that talked about um, shooting refugees, blowing up the routes of return, um, you know, just in writing. It, it was pretty shocking, so we felt like we had to, had to add that as well as some other really important information. So it's it's definitely worth it, but yeah, it was it was a huge endeavor to take on and to add all that stuff. So I apologize to everyone who's asking us, you know, where the hell is the movie? <laughs> it is coming out. Um, I'm working nonstop to make that happen and it is coming out very, very soon. So please stay tuned. Write us on guysoffightsforfreedom.com if you're interested in hosting a screening or just sign up to get notified once it's live. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine what you're going through, even though you're having almost the opposite struggle that I had when I made my movie. Do you remember when I first cut together a very heavy agenda which is like a seven hour single extremely sprawling yeah. movie <laughs> and i feel like i tried to get yeah. you to watch it all like one night we we had to split it up in like two part we, i don't even think we were able to make it through it so like you're you're basically what you started with wasn't even designed to be a full-length movie you were originally gonna do an episode and then it just grew and grew and grew so everybody out yeah. there yeah obviously be patient this was sort of you, this idea came to you, you know, after you started w initially working on the project. So it's like, you know, move, full length movies take a shitload of time. Like, don't obviously don't feel rushed. Like you have to put it out to please people because, you know, fucking do do what you need to do. And right. And um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly I don't I can't even imagine making another three part documentary series. It was honestly the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So. Um, yeah, kudos to you for doing doing the work because it's, I mean, it's a lot shitload of work, but it'll be really satisfying when it's over, when it's behind you. Yeah, it will be. I mean, I can't imagine what your experience was like cutting all those clips and stuff for a very heavy agenda because it's a lot, you know, even to find these these clips mm -hmm. and everything's just so overly saturated online that it is actually really hard to to kind of resurrect some of these archival things that we remember um, from Cold War 2.0. And, and it's yeah, harder than so. ever now. Kudos to you as harder well. Harder than ever now. I don't yeah, think I would have been able absolutely. to make a very heavy agenda unless I spent about three times more work like doing clever Google or other types of web searches because they have mm -hmm. deliberately deranked pretty much anything you can imagine that's not just like mainstream media official source clips. So like... Yeah, it takes a lot more. Yeah, even now. like that old account, YouTube account that's been around forever, Mox News, that used to have like all the best little right. interchanges from mainstream media. That's deranked as fuck now. I mean, you have to like literally go to their account and subscribe to it. So this is what you have to do on YouTube now is you literally have to like subscribe, hit the notification bell icon for any content creator you want to like be notified of otherwise you really cannot even find their shit in the search results i mean just one example 
And yeah. I think I told, showed you this recently, Abby, that James Corbett's movie, the I forgot what it's called, um, the one about the Federal Reserve, it used to be the number one result when you would type Federal Reserve in YouTube, and now it's like not found on any of the first like three pages of results, even though it has like over a million views. So this is happening to everyone. People were mocking me because on the Joe Rogan show, I talked about this. I talked about the deplatforming and backpaging and deranking on YouTube for Empire Files. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh, I can still find your your site. Like, you're lying. And it's like, no, that's it's it's not as easy as that. Um, if you type it in, like, really weird videos come up from, like, years ago on Telesource page. Yeah. So no, it's not just a straightforward thing that you can find our channel and find all the content. It, it actually takes a lot of digging. You know, we were just watching the Bernie Sanders on Joe Rogan last night and like the next um, recommended video after watching a huge thing with Bernie Sanders was Jordan Peterson, you know, talking about something or other. Wow. So it's like the, the algorithms still definitely favor those kinds of people. Of course. Yeah, I mean it's it's a nightmare. I mean the the generic like red pilled conservative stuff. If you watch like one video or one adjacent video to it, your entire algorithm gets populated by it. It's so so it is a strange thing where all the conservatives are acting like they're being shadow banned when the algorithm seemingly strongly favors their content. I mean even as far as conspiracy videos go on YouTube, like there's like ten QAnon accounts, Abby, that have only existed for like six months that have like hundreds of thousands of subscribers it's the most bizarre unexplainable shit i have ever seen but there's just weird stuff happening on youtube i mean there's this woman named kim iverson who's basically standing as the new dave rubin posing as a progressive and she's only been around for six months and she has something like two hundred thousand youtube subscribers already and it's just like how is this possible this is really really weird and suspicious I mean, it's the right wing gravy train. I mean, you just latch on and you get super. That's what you would think. All these people. I, the, I think it's something more than I that. Think it I is. mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do think that there are times where there's either click farms being established or something to mm -hmm. boost up the stats. Oddly enough, um, the Dave Rubin episode with Marianne Williamson only has like 175,000 views or something, which I was surprised to see because she trounced him so hard. Um, and I know that it probably got picked up more from like progressive media, but I guess I thought more heat was on Dave because I know that he followed up with a little periscope explaining why he fucked up so bad and did such a bad he job. Did. Oh God. Um, said he was tired and he wasn't on his game. And, but I know that you discussed that last, the last episode we did. So I wanted to just quickly plug it because I watched the mm -hmm. whole thing in its entirety after we did that last podcast and holy shit, dude. Marianne Williamson is a saint. She is so awesome. I've never heard anyone articulate an argument for reparations like that from the heart. It wasn't, it wasn't even like a political mm -hmm. pitch. And her explanation was so profound that I really, really uh, encourage everyone to watch it in, in its totality because it's not the same as just watching a couple of clips from people breaking it down. You really have to watch it from beginning to end because she actually just speaks pretty well on capitalism yeah. too so very impressive woman i like her now a lot yeah i mean i was really impressed with her performance i mean i still have some issues with her like i was saying in the last episode it, it's still her personality still reminds me of sort of a flaky new age mm -hmm. mentality but like i was saying in the last episode too there is some stuff even from like the new age 
sort of movement post hippie era that's valuable. I mean, it's not all bad, flaky, you know, spiritual mumbo jumbo. Like there is some good shit there. She's one of the better sort of people coming from that direction that I've seen in the public square. But some of that flakiness definitely still comes through. So it's like a mix for me. But but it was the most hilarious part about it. And I won't stay too long on this, but just how stupid Dave, Dave Rubin looked when she was just like explaining how reparations have been given to victims of the Holocaust. And then Dave Rubin was like, how could you possibly compare slavery to the Holocaust? And she's just like, uh, she's like, have you studied up much yeah. on slavery, Dave? And he's just like, yes. <laughs> he's like, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, we're talking about abject slavery. It's really Dave. good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really, really. Similarly, amazing. I thought that um, the Cornell West interview on Joe Rogan was was sh- shockingly good, and, and probably a huge benefit to expose his audience to those kinds of ideas, and not just the ideas, but you know, in terms of Cornell West's ability to be like to say sort of like spiritually powerful, impactful things that really resonate with like what's going on right now, it. He did an incredible job. I mean, he totally disarmed Rogan. Wow. It was like he put Rogan in this place where Rogan was just almost like a student listening the whole time to like Cornell West teachings or something. And it was it was kind of a beautiful I mean, it was actually really inspiring too to watch Cornell West sort of go over the history of the United States, what we need to atone for you know, how these things that conservatives talk about being so terrifying, like social democratic socialism and things like that, they're actually not terrifying. They're like an integral part of the American fabric and like our history as a country. Um, he really schools Rogan. So I highly recommend people watch that as well. If you haven't wow. seen it yet. I had no idea that that was so good. I mean, it's not surprising. He is beautifully poetic in everything that he approaches. So that's really cool that he, I mean, it's cool to just give him a platform for two hours and just hear him speak yeah. about anything. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that really disarmed Joe Rogan was Cornell West started the program by telling Joe Rogan about his standup and how much he thought he was like an artist that was like working on this certain plane. And he started the whole conversation at the beginning, almost like talking about philosophy and the world and humanity, like through the lens of standup comedy. And it, I think Joe Rogan like really understood and clicked with what he was saying. And then it like veered into this larger discussion about like the human soul. And it was just like, it was pretty masterful. And it just, it just opened up this door for something that I've never seen on his program before. Usually he's, even with Bernie Sanders, which we were both talking about before we started recording, he was a little devil's advocate a little adversarial. This was the exact opposite. It was almost like, Cornell West had the floor to just like teach Joe Rogan almost like he was a pupil and it was incredible. Well, I'd like to think that hopefully I had something to do with getting Bernie on. I hope so too. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I mean, Cornell West who knows? Uh, too. He's a, he's a, he was very praising of Bernie. I mean, he was, he's a total Bernie guy as well. And it's smart that Bernie Sanders went on. I mean, I think that I'm surprised actually that after Elon Musk and some of these other bigger people went on, that it's not more, bigger celebrities on like i thought kanye was gonna go on i thought joe rogan was about to like blow up even bigger where it'd be like now it's just gonna be like all these big celebrities want to go on a show but it's kind of he still throws in uh, people who aren't super famous and random people sometimes so it's interesting i mean if he wanted to turn his show into like a youtube celebrity talk show he could probably at this point but he's chosen not to so 
I got to give him props for that. I mean, since we're on the Bernie Sanders on Joe Rogan kick anyway, I mean, I just thought that he did a really good job debunking kind of the right wing tropes about everything. How are we going to pay for this? What do you want the government to come and take your guns? What would you do about gun control? And to hear Bernie Sanders, first of all, have the ability to not be talking in sound bites, like at the debates, like in these corporate media interviews that are completely adversarial in a mm-hmm. different way. Like at least Joe Rogan gave him the floor for a couple minutes where he could just go off on anything. And his guard was down where he wasn't angry. He wasn't, you know, and I, I don't think that he's too angry or yelly, but this is like the, the criticism that I often hear is like, oh, he's just an old yelly socialist who, you know, crazy Bernie. Um, but I thought that he seemed really calm, collected, really cool. Um, it was the first time that, that I've ever seen Bernie act that way. That was just like a chill dude who was able to just calmly articulate all of these things and make a really good argument for them. Yeah. And I thought his answer, particularly on on um, college, why we should absolve college debt was really important because he just explained how in the last 20 years, a college degree gets you what a high school diploma yeah. used to. So therefore, of course, we have to give free college to people. Um, and the whole, you know, eliminating college debt and just his his example about how life expectancy in the U.S. is actually going down yeah. because of what he called diseases of despair, which are preventable illnesses that are caused by people actually being depressed and miserable. That's why death by suicides are going up mm-hmm. here, down in every other country. Yeah, you, know, you can you can correlate this with all the mass shooting stuff, which we're going to get into. But yeah, I thought his answer on that was really good. And just how everything kept going back to the fundamental notion that we need healthcare and we need um, education. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know, all the problems in society stem from the fact that these things are not guaranteed. I think also one of the so he he only missed a couple of opportunities, I thought, in the interview because one of the things that really lit Joe Rogan up was Joe Rogan's like, is the problem with like lobbying like this bad in other countries? Like, is it anything like this in other countries? And Bernie Sanders said, absolutely not. And didn't really explain in detail the intricacies of how that actually plays Why? out. And I think that that's yeah. might actually be a really effective way to actually bring some of these people over who are skeptical of democratic socialism or even who are right wing to be like, did you know America is one of the only Western countries in the world, and I think besides Sweden, that allows pharmaceutical companies to advertise on television, that allows pharmaceutical companies to charge. He actually brought this up, that allows them to charge whatever they want. That is So he didn't break that down, but it would be really valuable to break down what other things do corporations do to like rape our country that other countries don't allow. Because that's, that's sort of an interesting angle that actually does make America very unique. It's like, why are we one of the only countries that allows pharmaceutical companies to lobby the customer of like which dr- experimental drugs to bu- buy? I mean, it is really strange. <laughs> and the whole elimination of the fairness doctrine. Yeah. You know, even though corporate media is a problem all around the world, every other country, not only do they not only have two parties that dictate everything and control the political spectrum, but they also have the ability to argue fairly. They give them time. On the media channel. Yeah, they actually give them equal time. Even that was sort of difficult for Joe Rogan to swallow. It's like, well, how are you going to force CBS and and these companies to do that? Well, it's like they're not going to be convinced to do it. You have to literally like pass a law. Right. 
But I thought his answer also was super good when he was like, how, you know, the presidency shouldn't exist. It's like, how could one person be responsible for all of this? And unlike every other candidate running, Bernie was just like, yeah, I'm not going to do everything alone. You can't. He said, that's why you need a cabinet full of capable people. And that's why you need tens of millions of people coming out in the streets whenever we call for these policies until they actually happen. I will say that, um, you know, Bernie is an imperialist. He has huge problems on the foreign policy front. And he feels like he has to basically double down on how Maduro is a quote unquote dictator and how Russia is a dictatorship and how China is authoritarian, like to deflect from how, you know, he's a democratic socialist. So he's not a yeah. socialist like these other countries. He seems very reactionary. Yeah, communist authoritarianism. That was the big problem. And every time he says anything like that, I wince. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's the best we're going to get right now. And yeah, I think that it's, it's a huge problem and we need to keep pushing him from the left, but yeah. And I'm also surprised. It seems like a really, like a really perfect opportunity for when it's like, how are we going to pay for these? When that question comes up, I don't usually hear him talking about like cutting the military budget as a response to that. And that just seems like a no brainer. And I'm surprised when he doesn't take that opportunity. It's a little bit worrisome. It's like, why? Yeah, the military that's such a slam dunk case to make to the American people. Like, that's something that would really resonate with people. So it makes me think he actually doesn't. That's not one of his plans. Like, well, he did say not to defend him. I totally agree with you. And I was really pissed off at that missed opportunity, too. But he did say later on, he was like, you know, we're spending $750 billion to on weapons of war to kill each other and, um, you know, a trillion dollars on nuclear weapons. And he's like, why is that? like almost hinting to, okay, we should spend that on something else. But yeah, it's like at this point in the game, like you have to fucking approach the elephant in the room. Why can't we approach how, what Martin Luther King was saying 50 years ago? It's not extreme. It's not radical. It's logical. And pretty much everyone in the country who's not a billionaire or invested in these defense contractors can agree to that. (laughs) So it's like the most logical thing ever to me, but Um, One thing I did like that he said was he was like, we should approach climate change like Nazi Germany. (laughs) I appreciated that. (laughs) I didn't. I must have missed that. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, he was like, climate change is such an existential threat. He was like, I even though I disagree with um, Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, Vladimir Putin. And he said, "I, I still would envision that they are human beings who are not crazy who care about the future of this planet and care about their, you know, the future generations of their countries. And so therefore we need to act like an alien is invading this country. We need to act like Nazi Germany is a threat and the allied forces need to get together and actually approach this together. And I appreciated that a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was overall good. I still think he's the best candidate in the race. I still have huge problems with him. In a way, I hope he wins the primary, not just because I want to see him versus Trump, but also because I feel like he deserves a real thorough sort of going over of his all of his actual real problems. Like if it gets to that point, I, I hope that you know I hope that happens for multiple reasons. So, um, so yeah, I, I would like to see him do more media appearances like that. Also, I think that was one of the best ones I've seen for sure so far. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, if he doesn't win the primary, we're in for definitely four more years of Trump, and God knows what he will do with that mandate. It's very scary to think about. I think that actually the Iran war thing is way more feasible. Yeah, 
in the second term of Trump. And I think a lot more hate crimes and a lot more. I mean, who the fuck knows what Trump? No, do I mean that could be he could do something capital. even crazy as like martial law. I mean, you don't know what this guy's capable of. Yeah, it's it's really scary. We actually might get the Hitler Trump in his second term. I mean, it's I I still think that's one of the only things that the neoliberals warn people about that's actually legitimate is that Trump could become in some way the new Hitler. It's just I don't know why that's in the on the back burner now. Why are people trying to shame him for saying insinuating racism when it's like he is a like he's he could be the new Hitler? Like that to me is more accurate than try or more useful than trying to be like, why isn't Trump a atone for this or something? It's like right. no, he's not going to. You <laughs> like get on board with the new Hitler narrative. That's more realistic. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyways, speaking of the new Hitler. Uh, yesterday was the 74th anniversary of Hiroshima, the dropping of the nuclear bomb on a civilian city that obliterated, I don't know, close to 100,000 people, vaporized people, um, left shadows in their wake. One of the biggest war crimes, if not the biggest war crime ever perpetrated on a civilian population and cemented the U.S. as the world's superpower. Um, as, you know, as we know from going to the Hiroshima Museum with a guide who was a victim in utero, who survived the blast, who walked us through the horrors of, of what this was really like and the devastating effects it had on Japan. Um, really mind-blowing place. We actually have a whole Media Roots podcast that I'll link to in the timeline explaining our trip and going over it with fresh eyes right after we went. But, you know, I always like to remind people like how false this narrative is. And it's really one of these myths that underpin our entire society and the notion of American exceptionalism in general, that dropping nukes, quote, ended war and saved lives. We know that, you know, a government research group assigned by Truman himself admitted that Japan was about to surrender, not to mention, of course, the firebombing. The firebombing of Japan that um, was horrific, uh, you know, dropping just payloads of napalm all over Tokyo left a, at least a fifth of Tokyo a smoldering, a smoldering expanse of just bodies and, and rubble. Um, I think over a hundred thousand people were actually killed in that firebombing alone. Yeah, I think even more. So I think it yeah. was the deadliest raid, deadliest raid ever. That, that's covered ever. very sort of an emotionally powerful way in the Errol Morris documentary, Fog of War. That was one of the first films that I saw or documentaries that really covered that. Well, it said 60 other, I was just reading 60 other cities were also firebombed. Yeah. That's pretty So shocking. it's part of the reason, and a lot of the structures in Japan were constructed out of wood. So this is the reason why firebombing was part of the reason why it was used so extensively in World War II. And, that's part of the reason why now when you go to Japan, um, a lot of the buildings are modern buildings with like modern elevators, like built after sort of like the World War II period. Like you'll still go to New York City and a lot of major cities in the United States, like, you know, New York, San Francisco, they'll still have architecture buildings that were built the end of World War II, like old ass elevators, even in L.A., um, and Tokyo and in Japan, like that's very rare to find a building that's that old because mm -hmm. it was probably firebombed. Devastating. 
totally devastating. And it just reminds me that we're the only country that's ever used nuclear weapons. And we continue to be the world's arbitrator on who can and can't have nukes. And this is the whole kind of thing that underpins the conflict with Iran, North Korea. It's disgusting. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really disgraceful. So I mean, it's, just keep in mind that that is, it's the most provable falsehood. And it's still just used to like paint America as, you know, some great nation. Well, that's why I think people even like Marianne Williamson and all these other people, I wonder if how even Cornell West feels about this, that to me, the dropping of the A-bomb, but two A-bombs on Japan is, it, it rivals, if not should be spoken in the same sentence as the genocide of the Native Americans, slavery. Um, the inter- and, and actually, it's far worse than the internment of the Japanese, if you really want to think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my, in my opinion, it is, which, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, that was also horrible. But you hear about that in history books, like that was such a wrong thing that we did. Look what we, we did, and we we're like embarrassed for this now. We paid reparations to the Japanese, you know, in the George Bush Sr. era, um, or Reagan era. I don't remember exactly when it was. But it's like this is never mentioned in that in that same sort of lexicon of terrible American crimes. And it needs to be. It really it needs to be included in that just like all these other ones. And it's weird to me. Why do you think that is? I still think the myth of World War II, the propaganda that helped that, that came from that, still helps propel a useful American myth that keeps us asleep and keeps us complacent. It's just another thing that we don't have to like worry about atoning for. You know, slavery is so long ago that it's distant enough that it's like people feel like we've already atoned for that. Even as even though Marion Williamson appropriately points out we have not <laughs> at all. But because of the length of time we feel like oh it's been a long time ago. Same with the Native Americans. This is something that's like recent enough where it would be like we'd have to really seriously atone for it because our grandparents were alive when that happened. You know, some people's grandparents are still alive. I, I still feel like it's one of the more useful backdrops um, because presenting America as the savior of the world in World War II, the people who liberated all the Jews from the Holocaust, who killed Hitler or whatever, all that stuff is like important to like the American mythos and the narrative that keeps us these weird patriotic empire babies, I think. Absolutely. And even the idea that Russia was actually who defeated Nazi Germany is still something that people can't even really process. It's, you know, it's only something you see like fringe people saying, even though it's true. We still like to believe right. we're the ones who did it. All the violence that the military machine externalizes yeah. uh, is never atoned for, right? So it's all the things that the horrors that were perpetrated here on our soil, we've had to kind of had a mea culpa, even though we've never actually paid reparations the way that we should to, uh, you know, the descendants of slaves to Native American, the descendants of the genocide of Native Americans. But yeah, all the violence done around the world, if we were to atone for that, then that would totally dissolve the entire myth that underpins why we are still carrying out genocidal wars and bombing campaigns with the notion that we are a benign empire that is 
carrying out these wars in good faith and for humanitarian reasons. Absolutely. So it is part and parcel with the dropping of the nukes for sure. I mean, that's why conservatives, there's certain types of conservatives who are get like really angry and their whole thing is trying to like paint slavery and the native American genocide is actually like not that bad. They realize that those are powerful truths that undermine this American mythos of that we're like good, we're morally just, we've atoned for our sins. When we do bad things, we admit it. They need to keep that myth up. So that's why it's still important for them to like chip away at the idea that the Native American genocide was bad or that slavery was bad. And there are a lot of conservatives who still try to do that. So I feel like, and you include the Iraq war in that, they know that it, to bring Hiroshima into the mix is like an American war crime or a terrible crime we've committed to try to atone for that. It's just simply not the right time, first of all, because the Iraq war is so fresh in everybody's minds and that was so wholly unnecessary. And it's just also, it would totally, <laughs> you know, their whole thing is they need to maintain this American mythos. It's like our religion here. It's sort of what maintains yep. the, the status yep, quo is. to some degree. That's what propelled the U.S. as the world superpower. Yes. So it's like it's 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 almost like the first myth of rebranding the American empire. It is. It really is. Yeah. And it worked perfectly. And that's why it's so important. It, it's perfect, too, right. because it's like here you have the Holocaust, which six million Jews were killed. And then you have this thing where not as many people were killed. And, you know, let's really boost up the Holocaust. Let's make it seem like we saved everybody from the Holocaust. Let's bring out Holocaust awareness. You know, repeatedly, even throughout the 60s, there was American government funding for Holocaust awareness. And then, like, completely whitewash us vaporizing over 200,000 people in a nuclear bomb. I mean... Yeah, and let's be clear, vaporizing, I mean, we're talking about up to 250,000 people that were initially killed, not to mention the countless tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially, that died of radiation. Exactly, yeah. And were tested purposefully. They knew the effects of the blast. They tested them like fucking guinea pigs for radiation. There were soldiers sent over there that were literally testing the environment, doing all this testing while Japanese doctors and scientists were demanding to know, you know, what can we do to treat these people? And they were not given any answers. I mean, they were basically people just left to waste and die from radiation poisoning that could have actually been saved because the American government was still keeping the nature of the bomb itself secret. Exactly. They didn't, they, the victims were stayed behind to help search the, through the rubble. Imagine it's like they're, you know, it's like, fucking a million times worse than 9-11. So of course you're gonna chip in as a surviving victim to try to look for, you know, other victims for belongings, et cetera, et cetera. They had no idea it was it was highly radioactive. Yeah. Sick. It's really Japanese sick. culture for a long time, this theme would constantly sort of come up in not just films or books, but also anime. Yeah, and another point about how there's only one Holocaust, right? The Holocaust of the Jews, as horrific as it was, there, there are many Holocausts and there are many atrocious war crimes that are not looked at with the same lens. Um, and like, again, Marian Williamson, I, I, she's the new Fahrenheit 11 <laughs> for me. I'm going to just plug her everywhere. But like she said, um, it was fleshed out in Germany, right? And so you go to Germany now and, and, the generations now like the guilt is 
for the most part, dealt with. Whereas here, there's all this underlying tension, not just race relations, but just everything. I mean, economic disparity. And you can kind of look at like, who do we, who do we hoist up as heroes? You know, Confederate soldier statues all across the country. We don't ever have any statues of like people who freed slaves. You know, there's no depictions of like slave revolts or Native American heroes. It's like because we don't actually view this history in the correct way um, and we've just pushed it under the rug and never dealt with it and we've never celebrated the people who are actually heroes of all of these movements instead we kind of still celebrate you know all of the, the worst kinds of fucking people who perpetuated all all the atrocities so it's just an interesting thing i remember someone like posting a thread of all of these different statues around the world and i was like oh my god that's so interesting that we actually don't have any we don't actually have anything like that here. You know, going back to how America's a vapid, cultureless kind of dystopia, um, it's just all kind of part of the same thing. That when you realize, yeah, we, we just kind of paint the Holocaust as that's, that's the worst thing that's ever happened in history. So therefore, it can't be repeated again. You know, it's like, it's like this thing that's almost like a fantasy that we just revisit it over and over again in, in Americana and in Hollywood, but we don't actually talk about how not only could this happen again, but it has happened many times and America has been responsible for many holocausts around the world. Exactly. And also even just humanizing the, the other side, you know, it's something that we still have a really hard time doing, even in culture. You would think in this day and age, it wouldn't be controversial you know, to see war films coming out about these historical, you know, famous wars where it tries to humanize the people that like live in Japan, for example, or, you know, even people who were German citizens during World War II. It's the, these myths are so strong that it's almost like if you even try to do that, you there'd even be leftists who'd be calling you Nazi apologists. But Robbie, the Japanese were so proud um, that they wouldn't have surrendered until every, that's how crazy the Japanese people were, is that they were so proud and so crazy that they would have killed every last woman and child and impaled all the babies with swords. They would not human have surrendered, shields. Robbie. We had AKA to AKA human shield. It's the same dehumanization <laughs> myth. Why are Americans the only people who aren't human shields? It seems like every other race... I mean, and it actually isn't helped by the fact that Japan actually did do legit kamikaze attacks. I mean, it's, I guess it's fairly easy to paint them, you know. That that myth is actually pretty... The skids are already greased for that one. And also, it, Japan is a little bit more of a complicated situation where they didn't have the same level of sort of atonement for their own war crimes like Germany did. So there is sort of a difference there. That's a whole other subject. But yeah, it doesn't... Obviously, there's no excuse for what we did. Um, it was a total war crime, more egregious than anything the Japanese did to us during World War II by far. Pearl Harbor, we talk about that more than Hiroshima. You know, that just shows how babyish we are. That was a military base. They attacked a fucking military base. They didn't firebomb Oahu. That's the shit we did. That's what we do, dude. How dishonorable is that? You want to talk about, yeah. you know, just the, the stupid paradigm of like the honor of war? I mean, how babyish and pathetic is that? That we just bomb civilian areas. We just kill women and children. Like, how are we heroes? How is World War II the just war? None of this shit's real. It's all horrible. 
Yeah. It's sick. It's super sick, dude. And speaking of Pearl Harbor, um, really fascinating interview with Daniel Emmervar, the author of How to Hide an Empire, the, the History of the Greater United States. Very fascinating historical lesson here on the logo map that we know today, which is that clean cutout of the U.S. And he compiles all of the external territories, um, colonies, former colonies of the U.S. and puts them all together and that's how actually the maps used to be when the U.S. was going on an imperial shopping spree and seizing all this land with, you know, hundreds of islands, the Guano Islands, how the Guano Islands were actually the basis of like the legal basis of U.S. empire. Um, very interesting interview on empire files that you guys should check out. But he talks, he begins the book and everyone should get this book, too, because it was mind blowing. He begins the book by talking about Pearl Harbor and he talks about how um, how the the speech that Truman gave um, before dropping the nuclear bombs was edited. Like there was a last minute revision to the speech to include American Pearl Harbor or U.S. Pearl Harbor, because there was all of these territories that the U.S. had owned at that period of time, including the Philippines, of course, which is the largest colony. Um, but at the time, it was so foreign to, to Americans. They like had no um, allegiance whatsoever to Hawaii. You know, and so he he decided, OK, what's the closest colony? Because, of course, Japan attacked a lot of different areas, including the Philippines, including Guam. But because Hawaii was the closest, um, he felt like that was the biggest thing that he could kind of tie in to the U.S. as, as appearing that they attacked the U.S. And, um, yeah, there was all these polls done before then, that, like people just had no awareness at all that like Hawaii had anything to do with the U.S. So it was a really interesting kind of pivot and how that was approached. And then like before that time too, no presidents ever really talked about America. They would talk about um, the United States because that was like an amalgamation of states and territories. But then they started as, as imperialism grew, they started to try to figure out how, what can we start calling this country? Because it's clearly not just the United States. It's clearly like United States and all this other shit yeah. <laughs> that we own now. Um, really, really amazing. And then he also talks about how like whiteness drew the state lines because that's why, that's why Puerto Rico is still not a state because not enough white colonial settlers wow. lived there. And the only reason why Alaska... Alaska and Hawaii were eventually partitioned because enough white wow. settlers were. Oh my god, that's there. amazing! That, that makes amazing? perfect sense. That's so. That sounds so yeah. accurate. Even though I've never heard that before, <laughs> like holy shit, that's kind of blows my mind. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Watch the video. Oh, no. It's unbelievable. Seriously, like I, I felt like I knew a lot about this, and that's what he said too. I mean, he scoured like archives mm -hmm. through all these different regions and stuff and uncovered just really mind-blowing things that i had never heard before so definitely check out the new empire files um so really quick plug to this new show on amazon called the boys i know that there's a million superhero stuff out there but this is like an anti-superhero superhero series um i thought it was absolutely brilliant because it's kind of cast in the shadow of a post 9 11 war on terror okay. world where there's this like fake, you know, where they're ginning up hysteria against terrorism and how like the superheroes are actually kind of fucking evil, <laughs> like maniacal, diabolical sadists, especially the character that's akin to the Superman character. His name's Homelander. <laughs> Absolutely genius. Elizabeth Shue is in it. She's fantastic. Really great. 
I encourage everyone to check it out. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, I have been hearing a lot about it. It sounds really good. Um, I All I know about it is it's based off a Garth Ennis comic book. And I think Garth Ennis is the same guy who's who wrote Preacher, which there's also a show of right now. I think it's like in its second or third season. But yeah, it looks it looks awesome. And actually, there's also a Watchmen miniseries coming out on HBO, I think in a couple of months. Oh, so excited. And it's that. actually a sequel to the original comic book of the Watchmen. Originally, the guy who was writing it, Damon Lindelof, confused everybody and said it's going to be some kind of remix of the original comic book. And the comic book wasn't going to be like part of the story. But now it's being clearly defined as a sequel to the comic book miniseries not the movie watchman but the comic book with the original ending where it re- references back to what happened 30 years earlier so this takes place 30 years after the comic book there's even like a little shot of dr manhattan on mars in the fucking trailer it's pretty crazy uh so check that out and the awesome. in my opinion the best marvel property being done in live action right now the show legion is actually in its third season right now. And the next episode of Legion is the series finale. So I know we haven't talked about Legion for a while, but it shit's wrapping up. And if you're familiar with anything having to do with the X-Men in the third season of Legion, they actually depict professor X from the X-Men, who's of course played by Patrick Stewart in the, in the Brian Singer X-Men movies um, but he's depicted as like a younger Professor X who meets who meets oh, the wow. Shadow King for the first time. He like tunes into like the global network of like psychic energy. And the person that he hears the loudest is this guy in Morocco who turns out to be the Shadow King. So it flashes back. To, it's pretty crazy. Like it's it's actually one of the co- stories from the comic that was like one of the mo- most interesting X-Men stories and they're like doing they're the only people who's who've put, done this in sort of like a live action adaptation. Um none of the X-Men movies ever did this show the Shadow King or anything so I I'm pretty impressed by it and it's really really well done. Uh this season is like weirder than even the previous ones were. It's almost like reaching Twin Peaks season 3 level weirdness. Say no more. I'm I'm down to check it out again. I got a little too heady um in the second season, but I'm I'm going to jump and again, for sure. Yeah. Especially if you compare it to Twin Peaks. Well, I mean, if it got too heady not. for you, it might. It, I mean, it's pretty, pretty weird and heady still. But I think they're taking the story in a really interesting direction. So, yeah. Sweet. Well, the special effects and just, yeah, just the interesting. I mean, just like the out of the box stuff that they do is worth watching alone. You know, it's like so different than anything else on TV that it's worth checking out just for that. Yeah, I agree. So Elon Omar, we've been talking a lot about her. Um, have you seen this woman who is trying to replace her? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. Have you seen this woman? Wow. Yeah, once we, when we go all, when we go, what is the Q, Q and on WGA, W, WWG one, <laughs> WGA sounds like Joe Biden. Wait, the debate. wait break Three, it down. Zero, what does it mean? Zero, Joe, Joe, Spit, huh? break apart the acronym. What does it mean? Where we go one, we go all. Robbie, as you know, Q is you, Q is me, Q is all of us. And Q is apparently also Danielle Stella. 
from Minneapolis, a special ed teacher who is dumb as fucking rocks. Is this the one in the, the is this the one in the Ute or in the Twitter video that's been making the rounds where she's in the car filming herself? Oh, I don't know. I saw her. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the one that I sent you. No, no, no. That's not the one that I sent you. But that was just another QAnon person being that like, was, yeah, that was really creepy. No, I mean, Daniel Stella, Daniel Stella might as well be that woman. She is, um, she's challenging Representative Elon Omar. And she constantly references QAnon. She wears a Q necklace. She's tweeted out the hashtag WWG1WGA, we, where we go one, we go all, the QAnon motto. Um, and she basically launched her campaign, like outreach to QAnon fans um, to try to unseat Elon Omar. It's really fascinating. I saw her give this really weird plug at a rally um, and she sounded nuts. She sounded completely fucking nuts. And she was like, hi, I'm Danielle. She's like, I'm reading against Elon Omar. She's bad. It was really, it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> what, you know? Where can we even go from here? I mean, honestly. I mean, we go from here to the social media summit where Trump is not only constantly retweeting QAnon Twitter accounts, but he's also inviting these people to the White House. So... Yeah, it's crazy that this woman is like a QAnon person trying to unseat Elon Omar. But then again, look at what Trump's doing. You know, it's 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 not just, oh, he's saying tippy top with the Easter Bunny. He's actually straight up promoting QAnon and inviting them to the White House. So that's where we're going, baby. We're already there. I'm honestly surprised there aren't more people doing violent things. Or just crazy things like to get arrested based on the QAnon conspiracy narrative. It's just so powerful that it's actually flipped some people that I knew that I know. Like I, this is actually re relatively recent. I didn't realize that some people that I knew in real life had actually been flipped by the QAnon like theory until very recently, and I was extremely disturbed. Really? Yeah, that's all I really say on it because this person's someone that I've known for many years like i don't want to make them feel bad if they listen to this but it was it was still very very surprising and what's interesting is actually abby i don't know if you saw this but a former breitbart reporter named lee stranahan um has recently turned against mike cernovich what's his name jack sobiak i, I always forget to pronounce his name and several other right-wing figures who he believes were part of a disinfo operation that's somehow being run by Alan Dershowitz and Charles Johnson to basically like manipulate the Epstein narrative to turn it into a limited hangout, which is an interesting theory because it goes back to sort of my old theory. And this is something we'll get into when we talk about Epstein, but it goes back into my old theory about how QAnon and, or Pizzagate originally was like designed to deflect away from Trump potentially being a sexual predator or his own ties with Epstein that Pizzagate seemed a way to just create such a big distraction that people stopped looking at Trump's own sexual predatory activity. So is Stranahan saying that, because I thought he was staunchly pro-Trump. He's not so staunchly he pro-Trump. saying that it should um, be? He, I don't know. I think mm -hmm. he just thinks that something very fishy is happening and then Alan Dershowitz and Cernovich and Posobiec and several other people he's named by name he he basically believes that they're all part of some kind of disinformation pipeline that's being like controlled mm -hmm. from the top down that somehow Alan Dershowitz is like involved in 
it's it's really interesting to see someone as well respected as Lee Stranahan and the sort of the right wing move to turn against it. Other people have already flipped against QAnon, like Alex Jones even did like last year, but it's still going full force in full swing. Um, after the Epstein arrest, they acted like the storm was here. You know, even though JFK Jr. never showed up at that weird military parade Trump did, it didn't matter. They A lot of Q people still <laughs> believe that JFK Jr. is actually Q. When in reality, it seems like the people who are actually Q are actually, there is some truth to the idea that they do seem to be people who have connections to like, like military insiders, like Michael Flynn and his family seem to actually be somehow connected to the QAnon narrative, which is just really strange. Um, Anthony Schaefer, Colonel Anthony Schaefer, remember him? Able Danger guy? Yeah. He's dropped some really bizarre yeah. hints, dude, that he's acted like he's part of it. It's really strange. Um, and he's former military intelligence. Well, I love all these people turning against Q now when they were promoting Pizzagate and entertaining. Oh, absolutely. This Including whole Lee. And let's just be straight up about years. him. He still promotes right, exactly. people who are total disinfo operators who are at the epicenter and the like ground zero of Pizzagate. So I don't right. know if he's just realizing now that his house is dirty and he's throwing these people under the bus because he doesn't want to be associated with them. I, I mean, he's doing his own limited hangout of a limited hangout because he's not fully admitting yeah, yeah. that all these people in some form or another push Pizzagate. I mean, going back to QAnon, I mean, QAnon is basically the evolution of Pizzagate. You know, there have been several mass shootings recently that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But before this, you know, this Q conspiracy had like riled people up to the point where they were actually committing violent acts. There was like, um, you listed out five different violent events that happened that were motivated by Q. Um, a Washington man who murdered his brother with a sword. Yeah, he said his brother was like a, a Illuminati lizard. Oh, so like he actually, person. okay, Not, so that guy, it sounds like that guy like by... went even beyond Q. Um, but there right, was actually... Right, but he definitely was a Q yeah, guy. Yeah, so there was an incident even before that. Remember where that guy killed his dad? And his mom killed 911 yeah. because he said he believed his parents were satanic pedophiles, leftists. Yep. That might yep. have not been directly from Q, but it sure sounds like it to me. Um, and then you you listed here an Oregon man who threatened to kill YouTube employees over what he believed were acts of censorship. Um, he was a Q, Q supporter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A man accused of... Murdering an alleged crime boss. Um, now, this is a very bizarre story. Yeah, remember we all thought this was like a – that was – yeah, everyone thought it was a mafia hit. And then it turned out that this guy was convinced her things that Q was hinting yes. at, that this mafioso ex-mafia guy was like really one of the high ups in the pedophile ring. And let's just get this straight. Like Q has said a lot of really off-the-wall shit about a lot of random people. So if you go to like these weird Q compilation websites, like he's posted multiple times about Bill Maher. He thinks Bill Maher is a pedophile. Like whoever posts as Q is trying to paint Bill Maher as a pedophile, like continuously, mm -hmm. which is actually kind of interesting because who's one of the only people that Donald Trump sued that like made fun of him? Bill Maher. Seemingly the QAnon's enemies, like Q's enemies, the ones he goes after the most are like people who have offended Donald Trump the most. <laughs> I just find that kind of fascinating. Yeah. Like I am actually of the belief that Donald Trump knows very well what Q is and then he might actually even be part of it. 
Well, of course, because otherwise he wouldn't be constantly promoting people who are QAnon supporters on Twitter and also inviting them to the exactly. White House. And I do. Th- we have to remember. And I that. do think there is sort of an un- a second layer here. You know, all this all this talk about the deep state trying to impeach Trump or trying to like do a coup on him or just trying to undermine his presidency. I feel like that it doesn't even maybe some of it has to do with Russia. I mean, probably a lot of it does. I'm sure a lot of people have been convinced of the Russia thing. But I think something else that is upsetting them underneath a lot of this that they don't even want to publicize is whatever Trump and his people are doing with QAnon and Pizzagate. If you really want to talk about something that swayed the election, it wasn't like Russian Facebook ads. It was probably Pizzagate probably like had more explosive power in that October surprise era of the election than like almost anything else did. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, it makes me wonder if a lot of the like people who are in the establishment who are trying to go after Trump, like, like realize that Q is something that's dangerous. I mean, I don't know. It's, I'm just totally (laughs) randomly speculating, but. Oh yeah. Cause it's weird. Cause there is like the FBI has, there are factions of the establishment that are aware of the danger of QAnon. In fact, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was like, I guess they finally scheduled a press conference after like two years. And she was asked about it. And she said the president disagrees with any movement that encourages violence. Like that, that was her answer to the QAnon thing. Weird. Um, uh-huh. Wow. Well, I mean, Michaels Flynn is a direct promoter of it. Matt Getz. Um, a guy who's like Trump's favorite person in the house is a support as a Q's promoter and supporter. So th- these things aren't coincidences. I mean, there really does seem to be enough circumstantial evidence that Trump is actually a participant in whatever this Q phenomenon is. Like that seems pretty clear yep. to me. Participant to what level? We don't know. He is fully aware of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's actually posted as it himself. I wouldn't put that out of like that's that's a possibility to me. That's how weird the shit's gone. Like, but again, that doesn't mean that it's true or that it's actually like telling any truth. That actually makes it more dangerous. That if the president is actually steering the entire conspiracy movement somehow, that's super dangerous and weird. I mean, so yeah, remember that guy in uh, in Nevada? He was armed and he blocked the Hoover Dam, and he had this big ninety minute standoff with authorities. Saying release the full and his memo. Whole thing was, and yep, it was, and, exactly. and it was something that Trump was insinuating at the same time, something that the, Sean Hannity was insinuating at the same time, and it was something that Q had like said directly that there was like a secret longer memo that was being hidden, and that was where that all came from. Um, and that was really bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, where did that go? That whole theory that there was this big other... I mean, these theories just kind of like go on, just get forgotten about, you know? Yeah, and and there's nothing gets fulfilled and then a new promise or prediction is made that also doesn't get fulfilled and then people just keep... It just keeps going and going and going because there's... It's not just the postings. It's... A lot of this is being driven by these YouTubers, like I was saying earlier, who have a suspiciously high amount of subscribers that are like brand new that get like a hundred thousand views within a day on all their videos where they just read and interpret Q posts like tea leaves and build upon this Q narrative that Q has been posting about for the past few years, building upon it with every video, explaining why this thing didn't really pan out, but explaining why this really actually means this. 
and how we need to read into it like this. Like it's all just weird tea leaf reading, indulgent feedback loop, like self-fulfilling prophecy crap. It's really, really weird. But Yeah, and you can't disprove any of it because it's always constantly shifting. You know, it's never what you think it was yesterday. It's like always something new. Um, Q is always one step ahead of everyone. Yeah, and the yeah. argument used to be about, is it a LARP? Is it someone pretending to be this like high security clearance insider who's who's trying to like manipulate people? Or is it actually someone with high security clearance who's like close to Trump? If it is someone close to Trump, it's like really, really scary. And it's really strange to me how so many conspiracy people could think that this is like something valuable or useful. That's the part that's really bizarre to me. Yeah. And I don't I still don't really understand it. I mean, it's it's really, really scary still. Um, well, there's just the fact that I mean, before when we would talk about this, we kind of questioned, OK, does Trump know about this? Does he not? Is he playing around? But after inviting these people to the White House, I mean, come on, Joy Villa, Mark Dice, Bill Mitchell. I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that, yes, he is fully aware of the QAnon thing and he is actively stoking it. Absolutely. Um, and not just that, but of course, they're retweeting constantly of the QAnon people. So that, I mean, that's legitimate. Yeah, and really what, it, what Q hmm. does, the primary purpose of it is to explain away any of like Trump's extreme missteps away from his like yeah. promised agenda. So like even on the immigration yeah. stuff, Q had a whole narrative about what was really going on there. You know, on the neocon war making stuff in Iran, Q had all these, you know, explanations for why it was actually the right thing. Mm -hmm. The most Q ever slipped up was that started to promote sort of like neoliberal regime change rhetoric in Iran about a year ago, saying we need to free the Iranian people, long live the Iranian people, like Arab Spring style, like neoliberal rhetoric. And people actually sort of like were like, oh, wait, what, what's going on? You're like, there was some more savvy Q people who jumped off the bus then. They're like, just go back to say kill Iranians and blow their ships out of the yeah. water. <laughs> That's like more Trump-like. Too confusing. <laughs> right. Well, one more thing about Danielle Stella, the girl who's running against Elon Omar. Yeah, tell me about her. Um, her campaign manager or something or someone working for her campaign made a statement saying... She doesn't really believe in QAnon. She's just using this to manipulate people to get the votes, which I actually don't know what is weirder at this point. That's really, wow, that's really interesting. So someone would actually see the, I mean, if that's to be believed, <laughs> that someone would see the power in using the QAnon rhetoric to get votes, that's fascinating. Truly fascinating. Yeah, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of this whole QAnon gone wild, um, you know, these three mass shootings in just a week or so, people's brains have really broken here. Um, before we get into really just talking about the shootings, I mean, I live next to a coffee shop that's like a hip hipster coffee shop, just like the one that Jacob Wall claims that he likes to go to and hear liberals talk about Trump. Um, and the people who work at the coffee shop were talking about how the shootings were staged. And these are like very mainstream, generic hipster people in L.A. Yikes. And I think that that should really be alarming to people because this is not necessarily just QAnon, batshit crazy people who've gone off the deep end and are and like are in a completely different reality. This is people living, like I said, I mean, they're just like generic ass people in L.A. It talk, I mean, talk about so, people's brains I don't know what broken. that means. I, 
I think that yeah. Alex Jones is primarily responsible for making it seem like that's a valid thing to question every mass shooting as some kind of false flag attack. That's your reaction. I mean, do really? they? Was it the management? I'm just curious. Was it the management at the shop or just the employees? No, it was the it was the the owner is like a younger and guy. And so the yeah. owner of the shop was talking about that in L.A. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And he was just like, "Yeah, dude." It's like he's like they're staging all these shootings. He's like they're gonna do this right up until the election. And then the girl working there was just like, "Yeah." She's like, "Just like Sandy Hook." Wow. Wait. So that's really interesting because, like, I feel like in the Bay Area, people would never like you would never randomly hear a conversation like that in the Bay Area. That's very unusual. One day I went in there and he was like talking about how homeless people are like shitty. So I think he's just like a right wing. Or he's just fuck, like a rich frankly. LA but, flake like, this or is like something. A, yeah. But this is like super weird. Like even though I was disgusted with this rhetoric about like homeless people and stuff, like this is a whole nother level where I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you like don't believe the shootings are real? Like what is going well, on? Well, Abby, I mean, we, we've experienced this many times where there was such a bizarre evolution of the conspiracy movement that it's almost impossible to find yeah. level-headed grounded people who think there's something fishy about only things like 9-11 or only things like anthrax only things like the jfk assassination or things like that it's like it's either you're all in or you're not in at all mm-hmm. even when i screened my film mm-hmm. i won't say where i screened it the guy was extremely generous great guy and he seemed to like my film because he was maybe a little open to the conspiracy stuff. He knew about neocons. And I remember after I did my screening, I got an email from him saying, people are afraid to hear the truth. Like, I really appreciate what you're doing. But like, what I really want to do is even like puncture through that and and wake people, red pill people even more and wake them up even more. We're like the hardcore stuff that like people won't even touch because it's like so real and then all he did was link me to like Kevin Barrett shit about how all these mass shootings were staged. Oh my god, dude! And I was just like, yikes! Dude. Like I just was, my heart sunk. It was just really disheartening yep. that someone that that's the direction that people go in. I mean, I can be right. understand being skeptical of everything the government tells so you, bizarre. but this is different. This is like something that there's hundreds of witnesses to. Real people die. I mean, it's just so weird and disturbing and offensive that people like always think this is valid right? to pontificate right. about people being fake. Like they die, they pretended to die and they're like crisis actors. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? I, t- I can't even wrap my mind around it. I really can't. I really, really And then there's can't. even people like on my Facebook page, I posted something saying like, please don't post things about how the kids who died in these shootings are crisis actors. And somebody was like, <laughs> so oh, sad, so you're dude. saying that like all like there's no false flags and that like every event that's ever happened in history is as they say it is. And it's just like, what a fucking idiotic response to make to that. You fucking idiot. I'm saying to be choosy, be selective about what things you jump on and say are false flags. You fucking moron. Fuck. Sorry. Oh, my God. I don't even want to spend any more time on this because it's too depressing. But I think it's something to really take note of that this is not just isolated corners of the Internet and like spawns of the more general, larger conspiracy movement. This is way more um, this is way more pervasive than we'd like to think. And I just saw it firsthand. And I, I think we'd be surprised bringing this up to just random people. How many other people believe in this? Because of not only just Trump, but because just 
everyone's brains like you can't grasp or face what reality is anymore and i don't know if that's just the post 9-11 world and like the media just become you know manufacturing this narrative about the war on terror and like us just like a knee-jerk disbelief in everything the government says or if it's the election the russiagate stuff it's both sides of the coin but it is very 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 disturbing to me because i feel like i can see i mean pretty clearly what's going on and it's not that hard um but yeah i think a lot of people are are have completely lost the fucking plot and i don't know where we go from here yeah, even the simple talking point explanations or this is why these mass shootings happen are just so tired and so played out. And one that's also really irks me that I constantly see, and it's also popular among conspiracy people, and you know this one very well, Abby, that it's not the guns, it's the psychotropic SSRI. drugs. It's the it's right. the antidepressants, right. it's the Ritalin, it's the Adderall, it's the Zoloft, it's the Prozac. Once again, and you know, you know who most of those people are that push that? They're gun advocates. They're like NRA, like really right. hardcore exactly. like gun rights people. Right. But look, let's be yep. let's be even handed here. There are the overwhelming majority of gun owners in this country do not commit mass shootings or violence. Just like the overwhelming majority of people on antidepressants and psychotropic drugs for mental health problems do not do mass shootings or commit violence. You cannot correlate it just like that easily. It's just, just as, to me, it's just as lazy as saying video games cause these things. Right, because every other country in the world, what is the common denominator here? Every country in the world has mentally ill people. Yeah, maybe not to the extent that America does. And we can talk about that all day with Empire Baby Syndrome and just the fact that we are a sick society without health care. Like that, that's a huge factor. But every other country has mentally ill people. Every other country has people on psychotropic drugs. What is the common denominator in American society? We have fucking guns, dude. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, it's, it's the four, guns. What is it? Four, <laughs> an average of four guns for every American that we have in this country. So I have, um, yeah. So this is um, in the New York Times. There's a really crazy chart that will disturb everyone. I can link to it in the timeline. Um, it just shows how the U.S. has 270 million guns and has had 90 mass shooters. Um, from 1966 to 2012. I thought it was even no more other country than has that. More than I thought it was even more guns than that. That sounds it's, low to me, but maybe that's right. And it's, yes, which is really sad. No other country has more than 46 million guns or 18 mass shooters. Americans make up about 4.4% of the global population, but own almost 50% of the world's guns. Think about that statistic. Absolutely nuts. This is insane that we own almost half of the entire world's guns. You fucking kidding me? From, from 1966 to 2012, 31% of the gunmen in mass shootings worldwide were American. But apparently Yemen also has um, a lot of guns and a lot of shootings, but they're in a fucking full-blown civil war and being like constantly bombed by Saudi Arabia. So you can't really compare the two. You know, and Yemen was already like the poorest country in the entire region and there were so many other factors that go into yemen but it's just very disturbing that yemen is right next to america when it comes to the rate of gun ownership it has the world's second highest rate of gun ownership after the u.s um you know of course mental health def definitely accounts for this but we 
we don't necessarily have more mentally ill people here than other countries. I agree. So, but I do, I do think, that, and we could talk about sort of maybe the philosophical angle to this after we get through some of this other stuff. But I think that so there's, mm-hmm. it's not mental illness, but it's like a societal illness that I think that is also contributing to this. And that's why we have death by suicides going up yes. where every other country is going down. For, first, let's talk about what happened. Three mass shootings in the last week or two, one at the Gilroy Garlic Festival, three dead, including an infant. Um, the thing is, a lot more people could have died. The guy, and I'm not going to say any of these perps' names because fuck them, but the guy was had tons of rounds. He had a 75-round drum magazine, had 71 rounds left. Um, so, I mean, imagine how many more people could have died there. Like, we, we tend to forget about the ones that, like, only a couple people die, but damn, like, a lot more people could have died there. This guy had a shitload of ammunition. Yeah, and for like three days, he went out there and just started spraying people. For three huh? days, they made it seem like the news and the cops were celebrating that they shot him, you know, and saved all these people from potentially dying. And then the coroner, a week after that, was like, mm, "Actually, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound." <laughs> so, oh my god! Yeah. So the coroner actually, it, which is weird because, you know, you would think, wouldn't the police like know that they would be contradicted? By just like putting that out there. Yeah. So it's possible they that's, thought that's they so did weird. kill him and were just wrong. I mean, you know, I don't I don't know how hard, difficult it is when you're in that situation to know what happened when there's just bullets flying back and forth. But yeah. It's they did not kill him. Yeah. I mean, you think that you would see the guy turn the gun on himself. What was it like the scene in Dumb and Dumber where they just open fire and it's just all around the guy <laughs> and then he shoots yeah. himself in that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It seems weird that they wouldn't have known that because obviously you turn the gun on yourself and it's like something that you understand as someone who's on the scene, but I don't know what happened there. All I know is that a lot more people could have died. Absolutely. I mean, the garlic festival, we went to it as if, it, and this is sad to say, no disrespect to the people who go to the garlic festival. I'm sure people with their families it was you know it's something to do in the bay area mm-hmm. if it already it wasn't hellish enough when we went there it was like 105 it felt like it was like the last time i went somewhere that was like 105 degrees sweltering heat the lines were so long you couldn't even order like we we had to wait in like one line for like 45 minutes we'd like pick like the shortest line <laughs> it's like a really grueling experience just to go and have fun at. So to have a mass shooting on top of that is just so upsetting. People were probably just already exhausted, sweaty, ready to go home. And then a fucking mass shooter comes like just so fucking yeah, tragic. Yeah, an asshole. Yeah, and, and you hear this person on camera. She's like, who would shoot up a garlic? Exactly. Pistol? And it's like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, welcome to America. I mean, I'm surprised there hasn't been a mass shooting at Disneyland yet. That's kind of a miracle. Like, you know, there's probably been mass shooters around the country, like in pr- planning who have like drawn maps of Disneyland of like where they're going to like r- mow down people already. I mean, yeah, like how they can get yeah. guns. And I mean, I think the real thing about that is that you can't bring guns in. I mean, that, you have to think about the fact that that actually did per- probably has. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, metal detectors. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a police state measure. And and it still does to me when I go into places. But at the same time, like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what's his face? Dan White did just walk into City Hall. I mean, actually, he, there were already metal detectors at City Hall. I think when he did it, he had to sneak into mm-hmm. a back window to shoot Mayor Moscone and Harvey Milk. 
Wow. Even, you know, even with metal detectors, still ways to get guns in. But I mean, yeah, it has actually prevented probably a lot of like courtroom shootings, you know, things like that, that what used to happen. Yeah. And in terms of like just the term terrorism, like it's designed to catch headlines and it's it's usually most effective against a soft target. Removing guns or banning at least assault rifles like AK-47s. Uh, would prevent more people from being killed, but I still think you know I don't think you're gonna be able to ban handguns, and I don't think they should be banned. No, but at least you have to reload. True, but someone could you know conceivably have like a whole belt full of handguns that are already like loaded, or just have a clip. Yeah, but Robbie, think about this. I mean, the fact that this guy was able to kill this many people in like thirty seconds. True. No, you're right. Like yeah. that, that's why this shit is so crazy. It's like the whole good guy with a gun, this infuriating commentary that you see like on threads Fake. and it's so disgusting to see this reaction, but that it doesn't even make sense. First of all, El Paso, open carry state. Um, the cops responded immediately, but it was too late. 20 people were already killed and it happened so quickly. It's like, it doesn't, I think it absolutely would take the, at least the death toll I mean, think about how long it takes you shoot one bullet out of a handgun and you have to reload. And it doesn't matter if you have a belt full of handguns, you still have to look down, pick up the other one, aim, instead of just spraying bullets like you're in fucking Grand Theft Auto. I mean, it's just, it's insane. It really is insane that these weapons are just readily available. Like the El Paso guy bought it online. Or no, was it the date? I can't keep track of all the, the shooters, but I think the Dayton... Ohio shooter like bought the AK-47 online. Yeah. There's a lot of different discussions you can have about just this subject. Like how it would be interesting to find out how premeditated a lot of these shootings were in terms of like the guns they purchased. Like was was the Dayton shooter doing this impulsively? Did he buy this AK-47 because he was already planning on killing people? It's like a lot of these things to me are just like sort of they almost need to be like broken down like and and the data needs to be analyzed in so many different ways like i don't even know if any i mean i'm sure there are people who are trying to do this right now even just on that level like what were we looking up before we even started recording this the federal assault weapons ban which is interesting because there is statistics to show so it, the ban went into effect from 1994 and expired in 2004 10 years later and there is data to show that mass shootings actually went on the rise after the ban was lifted. So there's definitely some correlating data to what you're talking about. Like, it's not just the common sense things that you're mentioning. There's actual, like, data to back this up. That, like, when assault weapons are legal or available, there are more mass shootings. Um, But at the same time, I do wonder, and I'm not saying, like, people would just go on stabbing rampages or anything, you know, stupid things like that. I do wonder if people if if there is something more underlying to this where we if there was an assault weapon ban, if we would see these same people trying to do like weirder or crazier things. Well, I think it's worth a shot. No, no, I, mean, I agree with you. Shot I'm just speculating just in general. No, of course. I think that you're right. We but the, here's the thing, we don't yeah. know. And until we root out and try to actually solve this step by step, it's like first ban assault weapons, no yeah. brainer. Give everyone health care. Give every single person access mental to health. mental yeah. health evaluations. And then let's see where we're I, at as a society. Yeah. Because with, with both of those things not addressed, we're fucking fucked. I mean, you know, it's interesting. There should even be like there's a suicide hotline. Why 
can't there be like, and maybe this is going to sound weird, but has anyone proposed like a hotline for people who are not suicidal necessarily, but so desperate that they actually like want to do things like this or just are having violent impulses to be talked down? It maybe sounds ludicrous, but like maybe we need even something like that. It seems to be a genre of people who, when they get suicidal, they're so misanthropic and so self-centered that they think that they just need to take down a bunch of people with them too. They don't care. It seems like a right. lot of this is just like murder suicide. It's like, well, I'm already going to kill myself anyways. My life is shit. I hate everybody. So let me just kill a bunch of people while I go down too. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to, the whole terrorism label, I know it's, it's completely misused by the government obviously to foment this irrational fear but like it is terrorizing society of course. and the thing is even though there's no political motivation behind a lot of these it's insane i mean it, it is akin to terrorism because it's the only thing that we have experienced collectively as a society that can even compare to something like you know suicide bombings going off in other countries or like you know attacks that happen more frequently in Europe or whatever. But like, this is the only thing that we can actually compare that to. And it is very random and it is always soft targets, like you say. And, and a lot of the times there is absolutely no political motivation behind it. Yes, white nationalism is um, definitely has something to do with the roots of why we're such a violent society. You could talk all day about that, but that does not necessarily define a lot of these shooters. I agree with you. But I want to... I, I do want to talk about El Paso because that is a very clear cut yeah. case of, you know, this is a very clear cut case of Trump's rhetoric having absolute consequences that are clearly defined. Um, I don't know if this guy would have shot up a Walmart and driven nine hours to shoot 20 Hispanic people if he was if Trump wasn't president. We'll never know. Yeah. But what we do know is that this guy was inspired by Trump. You know, he spelled out Trump and all these guns he had this ridiculous. That was a, a correction on that. Sounded like a Tucker Carlson correction. rant. Just, just so people, I thought that too. Well, the first thing you said, That's he fake. liked a post of someone else posting that. Okay. I mean, okay, yeah, good to I, know. I, well, if anyone, if I'm wrong, someone correct me. But I'm pretty sure he liked that tweet. Okay, that's that's. Slightly less yeah. crazy, but whoever but, that um, is, who the fuck's that? Crazy, but who, he... who, like, who spelled out right. Trump with like a yeah. hundred, like, how many guns was in that picture? I mean, that's psychotic. Like, yeah, right. Can someone, can someone check in with that guy who posted that fucking photo? I mean, because this shit. I mean, the, the fact that this could happen anywhere, like the yoga studio one, terrified me the most. I mean, can you imagine being in this little meditating on a yoga mat and a mass shooter comes in and starts killing people? Um, it's always deranged. A lot of the times, white guys, young, angry men with assault rifles. That's the common denominator here, no matter what the political ideology is. I see Kellyanne Conway and all these people jumping on the fact that the day 10 guy was, quote unquote, a leftist. Well, he was also a violent misogynist who killed his fucking sister alongside nine people. So, I mean, I don't really know how that fits into like leftist ideology. I think that we're missing the point here um, is that the El Paso guy cited his political political ideology he cited the motivation in a crazy manifesto when he went and shot 30 people in walmart whereas this dayton guy just seems like another disaffected isolated white guy who who clearly was on a murder suicide rampage and didn't mind taking his sister out he had a hit list a rape list in high school 
Um, doesn't really sound like progressive values to me. But again, it's just people jumping on these things. Um, you know, and it's just really gross. Yeah, they want to politicize. Because we don't even give ourselves time. Yeah, we don't even give ourselves time to like digest the horror. And you have the predatory media on the ground talking, you know, in the face of the victims being like, how did you feel when he when you saw your dad dying on the ground? It's just like, Jesus Christ. Can we all take a step back and actually like, take stock of what the hell's going on here. It's really sick. It is sick. And they, you know, I don't even know how to really address it in a nuanced way, but yeah, the, like the media is, they're doing that. They're being just really like ambulance chasing and disgusting about it. Um, and they're also making it seem like, that mass it's like another one of those disingenuous narratives that like mass shootings are a result of like Trump's rhetoric, like as a whole or something like that's sort of the insinuation that I, that I've sort of hearing from the mainstream media, but it's, it's, it goes beyond Trump. And, but what you're saying is also true that the El Paso shooter is a clear example of someone who was inspired by an obviously on some level probably pushed further than he would have normally been by Trump's rhetoric. So I just, it just seems like so many of the narratives that are coming out are just, they're just so oversimplified. I mean, it's like, yeah, no, you're right. And I think it's totally a false generalization to try to generalize all of these people and lump them in together as all being inspired by Trump. There's clearly something deeper and darker going on. But what we can do is point to the very clear examples of of what is happening due to Trump's yes, rhetoric. Sure. And that absolutely is what this El Paso guy is. I mean, the fact that Trump was in El Paso laughing at people in his audience yeah. talking about shooting migrants. The fact that a lot of these people were Mexican nationals. The fact that tr you can barely distinguish what Trump's tweets versus Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson's rants versus this white supremacist manifesto. Of course. You can't tell the difference. Um, you know, I mean, it's it just is nuts. nuts. And the thing is, like, this is all this is not new, though. Like, it's it's there is an increased awareness of this now. But it's like Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram were all you know, they always were echoing things that actual white supremacists would say about immigrants. It was just never like called out before as that. So that that's like, I don't know if that's even relevant, but it's just. Well, we know that there is something totally different in well, the no, Trump that, era, yes. where it's it's from the top down, like normalizing this and and providing some sort of blanket of impunity for this behavior, whether it's the pardoning of the Joe Arpaios or just the rhetoric alone matching and being indistinguishable from actual white supremacist manifestos. I think there is something absolutely different and. I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that like the people that you just mentioned now have the most highly watched news shows like Tucker Carlson's program is the most watched program in the entire country. Is it really? I mean, that's scary, you know? And, yeah. And and all this this talk of the invasion, the invasion, the invasion. I mean, someone I just read an article today that that um, the Trump campaign has run more than 2000 ads containing the term invasion just in the last year on Facebook wow. alone. So yeah, rhetoric does have consequences and I'm not trying to generalize all of these mass shootings. Clearly there's a common denominator and it has to do with guns and it has to do with the sickness 
of American society. But this is, I think this is different. And this is really fucking scary. And it goes along with Christchurch and it goes along with El Paso. There is a current that's, that's like juxtaposed with the already like normalization of, of mass shootings and all of this going on, but there is something else happening and it is happening at higher frequency under Trump. And, um, and they all, they all, they literally do believe that like they're, they're doing something good. Like they, because of Trump get kind of giving the green light to this thing. I mean, they honestly think that they are saving the white, you know, white America that Latinos are replacing them. It's the great replacement theory. And this is something that's very commonly parroted by all of these people that we just talked about. And what I don't understand is why is there no accountability for this? I feel like if someone had, if someone like put me in their manifesto, you know, or like Elon Omar or AOC and like actually cited like a leftist or some sort of prominent commentator as a justification to commit a massacre of innocent people, I feel like the, like, our lives and careers would be virtually over. But Trump is so untouchable, he can just continue to go on and he can be part of the conversation, be shaping the conversation, go to these hospitals and parade around and pretend like he gives a shit. And you see the front cover of the New York Times being like, Trump is urging unity and not racism. And it's like, this is why this is happening, in part. It's fascinating to see how this plays just out. Just a few days before the shootings, Trump made a really weird tweet saying like, they robbed the House of Cummings. Too bad. It was almost seemed like a like a totally sarcastic, Who? like mocking tweet. Who is that black civil Who? rights era senator? Who from Baltimore? John. Oh right. Oh my god, that was horrific. And Trump was just like, they robbed oh. his house. Too bad. Almost like it was like thought it was <laughs> funnier. It was literally like a very old black man. That you're trying to incite violence against, like on Twitter, by mocking his right. house being robbed. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and like Kushner's slumlord apartments, so like all this trash in front of them. Like Kushner was somehow involved in those apartments that Trump kept promoting, being like, "Look at how trash Baltimore is." Disgusting. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Trump's tweets, here's two just from the last freaking day. Trump on August fifth says. The media has big responsibility to life and safety in our country. Fake news has contributed greatly to the anger and rage that has built up over many years. News coverage has got to start being fair, balanced, and unbiased, or these terrible problems will only get worse. Ready for the tweet today? August 7th. The Dems' new weapon is actually their old weapon. They never cease to use when they are going down or run out of facts. Racism! All in caps. They are truly disgusting. Wow. Yeah, it's the it's it's the Democrats using racism. I mean, and then you have Jake Tapper going out there while tensions are high and actually invoking Palestinians. Catch that one? Yeah, I did. Yeah, invoking Palestinians to basically compare to the scourge of white nationalist rhetoric inspiring these shootings. He's actually saying, yeah, it's just like when Palestinian leaders in, in, encourage terrorism. And then he and then he like twisted around and, and was like, no, I was talking about how we should also hold, you know, white nationalists accountable for their rhetoric, just like we hold Palestinian leaders accountable for theirs. And it's just like, what are you talking about, Jake? Wow, that's amazing. Like, are you that hardcore of a Zionist that you actually are twisting, like oh, doing leaps sure. and jumps 
to actually, like, that's how desperate you are to demonize Palestinians in the wake of the, these mass shootings? And, and, and by the way, should we talk about who's really committing terrorism in the Middle East? I mean, good God, Israeli snipers have killed 200 people in the last year. 2014, mowed down 2,500 Palestinians. How many Israelis are being killed, being incited by Palestinian rhetoric, Jake? <laughs> Yeah, he's, he really is the worst. It's so weird that he started. The earliest stuff I remember of his was when he was in the White House press corps asking adversarial questions to Obama. I mm -hmm. was like, oh, this guy is kind of good. Who is this guy? And then just, what the fuck happened to yeah. him? What a fucking yeah, loser. Fuck you, Jake Tapper. You're a fucking boring fuck. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the most shocking commentary honestly that came out of all of this really was jake tapper bringing up palestinians um what would have made way more sense is if you actually brought up israelis because israelis actually do believe in a philosophy and ideology akin to the great replacement theory jake it's called zionism I hate his ass so bad you dipshit so fucking bad it's an ongoing ethnic cleansing project based on Something that's pretty similar to what white nationalists believe. And that's why Richard Spencer praises Israel, Jake. He might want to look into yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, let's just wrap it up by saying I have changed my views entirely on gun control. Maybe it's because I have a stalker who sent me photos of fucking guns after I had two restraining orders against him that he was able to buy at a gun show through some goddamn loophole. Or maybe it's the fact that assault weapons, I realized that they were banned. Everyone went along fine while these giant, crazy-ass weapons were banned. Um, no one had any problems. You can still hunt. You can still enjoy the Second Amendment. It is batshit crazy that we cannot ban these guns and all of the accessories that go along with them. Because I don't care what is the root of this, whether it be mental illness or whatever else is going on, without the ability to kill 30 people in 30 seconds, it, it's not going to be the same problem. And yeah, of course, um, take, you know, banning assault rifles is not going to just take them off the streets. Of course not. But the fact is, I don't think that these three assholes would have been able to get those guns. I don't think they would have been able to. Um, and going back to the white nationalist thing, you were, you know, you're talking about white nationalism. And yeah, I think that we have a couple different facets of white nationalism going on. We have the white nationalists who are now proud and emboldened under Trump to join the Proud Boys and to join these gangs that they can now be members of, you know, confidently. And there's the kind of white nationalists who are inspired and go deeper and darker into their own isolated holes on the Internet, on 8chan and whatnot. And that's where you have them doing shit like this. So it's not necessarily like, oh, it's the white nationalists that are in these groups and members of these bodies. Those people like seem to have camaraderie with other white nationalists. These are the people who are like isolated. It's just, it's very, it's strange, but I think there's just like a lot of layers here. Of but um, absolutely, you know, just to go back to the Trump rhetoric thing, and then I want to get your opinion on this about everything that I just said. But I think that another interesting thing to kind of, solidify the notion that rhetoric does have consequences that are a lot of times deadly and violent um, is there was a study done that saw a 226% increase in reported hate crimes in counties that Trump just held a rally. <laughs> like this is all listed down in this article 
um, this Washington Post article that takes all of this different data and there is an absolute correlation between these 275 presidential campaign rallies in 2016 and increased incidents of hate crimes in subsequent months. So that is happening. That is absolutely happening. This is not a conspiracy theory like Tucker Carlson says. This is not a hoax. This is happening. So, I, yeah, I totally agree with you that the rhetoric matters and that there's definitely a rise of general hate crime and even hate speech, videotaped hate speech, vigilantism. We just saw this story in Montana. National anthem was being played at a county fair. A 34-year-old man basically concussed and fractured the skull of a 13-year-old boy who refused to take his hat off during the national anthem in a fair. And he actually made the kid see, have a seizure and bleed out of his ears for six hours. He slammed his head into the concrete. That's not exactly what we're talking about. That's not you know necessarily like people acting on like the racist rhetoric. But I do think even stuff like that is being amped up because of the Trump era. I don't see the connection as much with the in terms of just mass shootings. I, I, I definitely see the connection with certain mass shooters. The mosque shooter, yeah. you know, who just gunned down a bunch of people. Where did that happen? Was that Toronto? Where was that? There's definitely real, you know, shootings that have happened that have been motivated by perhaps an amped up white nationalist rhetoric that Trump has, you know, put out since he's been president. But I think in general... It was in Quebec, and he was inspired by Ben okay. Shapiro. Yeah, see, see, that's definitely like a clear-cut example. So there are clear-cut examples, but I think just even statistically speaking, and if we're talking about some of the worst mass shootings that have happened in, like, say, just the last five or six years, that's not a main correlation, like, even statistically. Like, I'm not looking at the data in front of me, but I can tell you, like, let's just look at the Vegas shooting. That was seemingly apolitical thing there was no clear right. motive for that that's the worst mass shooting in history the virginia tech shooting that wasn't political either it seems like there is more almost of a correlating factor of like almost like incelism or this isolationism that you're talking about right that you were referring to earlier so that was right. my only argument about i do think that people are jumping the gun on saying all these recent terror or you know mass shooting terrorist acts is because of trump's white nationalist rhetoric i i just don't see that personally with the mass shooting angle but i see it with a lot of the other things you're talking about for sure like the thing that i think that is being missed here and this is you know kind of almost more just trying to like the, the philosophy you know, what or lack of philosophy that a lot of people who do these shootings have is uniquely American, not just because of the guns. Like, I definitely think that is top, like, if you're going to make a top five list, perhaps, of what motivates these people and what's causing it, guns is definitely in there. Perhaps even number two. A lot of people would argue it's number one. But to me, like, I think one of the things that's very uniquely American that's that I see as number one is that we simply do not we don't have a really a real culture here in the United States. We're a very young country. And it's not like we're just a young country who minds our own business and, you know, is fresh and new on the globe. We're a new country that has such a small, tiny history that acts like it's the best country in the world and it can tell everybody else what to do. We're more entitled than other societies. We consume more than almost any other country in the world. We consume more energy. We generate more trash. Just those things alone reflect a lack of concern for like your fellow human being. 
it shows more of a contentment with being more narcissist, not just narcissistic, but more just self-centered in a literal sense. I, like, I don't know, not every society in the world is great, but I feel like most countries in the, in the world, even some of the most violent societies besides ours, have a rich history and a rich culture, even if it's one you think is bad or whatever. It, it extends back thousands. We obliterated our indigenous population here that would have connected us to some kind of actual history to this country, to this land that we basically stole. We we wanted to generate our own, like, whatever fake, vacuous culture of nonsense. And it's not just that. It's also the amount of, like, destruction and death we cause around the world. How do we process that just as a society? And the answer is we don't. We literally just, like, ignore it and bury it and just go on with our lives and act like everything's fine as long as we can keep playing video games, eating food, going on the internet, masturbating to porn. I mean, that's another weird angle to this. It's like other countries that had like a sexual liberation, like countries in Europe have been like sexually liberated for a long time. Like they are much less puritanical than how America started. That's sort of a jarring transition for America to go from like the puritanical era to like the 1950s. Now you can basically get whatever porn you want. It's like the sexual acceleration. And I'm not saying that excuses these incel type people. But I think that also kind of explains maybe even partially like this like violent misogyny that these young people maybe even experience now, just like in a weird fantasies they have, like this Dayton shooter. I don't even know. I mean, I'm not blaming porn at all. I'm just saying that we're a fucked up, repressed society that just does not properly process our own history. We don't atone for our own sins. We're selfish, narcissistic. We're not connected to anything larger than ourselves. Exactly. And I do think that that is a problem. And I don't even know if that can be like helped necessarily with therapy. That's like a societal sickness. It's not even like just like regular mental illness. You know, even just going back to Hiroshima. Like the fact that that's not seen as a war mm -hmm. crime and a massacre and a near genocide. To me, that's actually mentally ill to not see that as reality. It's like you're literally ignoring reality. It's a form of cognitive dissonance that's very, very strong that I just don't think, and I'm sure other, you know, there's plenty of religious people in the world who are fucked up, other countries who do fucked up things, but I just don't think that it's the same as how Americans feel about themselves, but. Yeah, well put. <laughs> really, really well put. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And like you said, I mean, there's so many different factors that go into this, but it's like the perfect storm because of the availability of the semi-automatic weapons, um, all of the manifestation of the sickness that you've talked about comes to fruition in a very, very like murderous and deadly way. Um, and that's really, really sad. And just because there's no magic answer and we don't understand the problem fully, um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't take steps to rectify what we know that we can do to help alleviate some of the mental illness and sickness of our society. And that is a understanding the gravity of, of what the U.S. Empire is doing around the world in our name and the death and destruction that it causes other people and the suffering that goes on around the world every day because of what our tax dollars are doing to kill and maim people.
um, mental illness, the, the lack of health care, the lack of mental illness um, understanding in this country. And also the demonization of drugs that actually help mentally ill people. You know, it's like, that's unfortunate too, because obviously that's ridiculous. Um, I'm not saying that people aren't overprescribed and like drugs don't have bad side effects, yeah. but that is not what is happening here. There are people who cannot function without them. And it's not because they're hooked on the drugs. Like they're, they really work for them. I mean, I know people who these drugs work for. So like pill, like whatever, that's not a correlation because 99.9% .9 of the people who own guns and also use these drugs don't do this shit. But the thing is, we can prevent that 1% of gun, gun owners who can access these guns. And a lot of them have history of beating up women, threatening to, threatening to and or raping women, physically assaulting women. Like you said, I feel like the biggest correlation that we've come across misogyny. is like violent yeah. misogyny. I think so. I mean, I think that is one of them. You know, even though the Vegas shooter, you know, apparently didn't have any of those he didn't say anything like that either. I mean, so it's still, it's like the biggest mass shooter is like the biggest mystery. We'll maybe mm -hmm. we'll never right. really understand that one. I mean, that, that whole thing, that one is still, bizarre, it still really dude. trips me out when I think about it. I mean, it's, and I don't mean at all. I'm not saying anything at all saying that people are still alive or there's Christ actors. Absolutely none. I just mean that it's, that one's hard to wrap my head around and it probably always will be. Cause that's, I mean, unless someone does something even crazier, Maybe we'll even, you know, forget that one somehow. Well, it's so hard to wrap your mind around. Like you, you want to understand. You want some sort of yeah. closure. We're just like frail humans. We just want to understand why people do this shit so we can stop it from happening because we care. Um, and we have empathy. And it's devastating to live in a country where we can't understand how we can prevent this from happening and um so all we can do is try to mitigate what is going on by taking some sort of precautionary measures that we know that we can do collectively and they are feasible actions um and it, it's just it's just a conversation that i don't want to have forever you know it's it's something that we need to really address and you know as you mentioned like studying this um really getting to the root of like what what is really going on here and putting like an enormous amount of resources into doing what we can. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that to me is most mysterious about it that I think could help gain, you know, give some understanding to what's going on is how much of this is premeditated. How long do these people radicalize mm -hmm. or get in, you know, like, are they, is it a pathway that takes them like a whole year? Is it something that they do on impulse Right. Yeah, exactly. When, when were you radicalized that meme? When were uh -huh. you radicalized? Um, but let's wrap it up. I mean, it, it's, it's a depressing moment and I, I don't want to like, you know, give some sort of like false optimism here because it's a depressing time. And I think everyone's kind of silently suffering and confused about where do we go from here? And we didn't even um, talk about how kids and how do we really are reacting resolve to this. this. I mean, imagine actually right. being a kid in school right, right Can now. you imagine? I, I if it's not ang anxiety inducing enough to go to school and to be worried about bullies mm -hmm. or you know getting mm -hmm. making sure you get good enough grades and then getting in trouble if you don't I mean Jesus kids are under so much stress already 
imagine the added stress of being worried you're going to be massacred. I mean, I never thought about that ever right. when I was going to school. Right. Luckily, Columbine happened like when, right after I graduated. Or right before, sorry. I think you said it happened like right at the same year you graduated, right? Yeah, it was when I was either like yeah. a junior or senior. So you really I only think. maybe had awareness of that for like a year while you were still going to high school. I mean. But then 9-11 immediately happened. So it was just like all fucking hell broke loose after that. <laughs> Columbine seemed like a blip on the true, radar compared true, to that yeah. shit. But like, yeah, no, point point well taken is that what, you know, Columbine was really the start of something very disturbing and a trend that continues to increase exponentially. This is an American tradition, kind of. We're fucked up. People should check out our episode with Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. She has a theory in her new book, Loaded, about just the origins of, you know, white nationalism and or gun culture. And another part that makes America so unique is the Constitution. Um, New Zealand and Australia, yeah, they have similar histories of wiping out the indigenous population and kind of like a it manifesting in really disturbing ways in terms of white nationalism taking root and growing. But... But we have a very bizarre obsession where guns are something that has become like a, a thing of worship. Um, and that's very strange. And we have this like or, ordained right or anointed, you know, anointed like guns as this thing, this object to worship. And that's why you see, I think there's a really crazy statistic like, the vast majority of guns are in the hands of just yeah. like very Oh yeah, they have people, people these people who have the most guns and believe in the second amendment as like a, you have to have a well-regulated militia to protect yourself from tyranny. What the hell happened to all of them now? Are they just all taken in by Q? Right. I, you know, there's like redneck revolt. There's like the socialist gun owners of America mm -hmm. militia group. There's like different groups like that. But like what happened to all these old school anti-fed anti-government paleo conservative like militia people are they just all trump worshipers now i i don't even need, i have no clue and i keep asking this question but nobody really has an answer for me that's a really good question um but i want to wrap it up by saying go to three three zero three three zero zero joe suck a dick biden <laughs> yep. okay so three three zero thirty three hundred zero 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 Biden WG1, Biden Biden. WG one so, <laughs> <laughs> one is all all is one. We are Q. You are Q. We are all Q. What a complete shit show that debate was. I know that we meant to talk about it, but this we'll have to. I mean, there really is nothing to talk about other than the fact that Joe Biden is a doddering. Four. Yeah, it was a total fucking nonsense. There's like nothing of sub substance talked about. Bernie had some good quips, one-liners, retorts. It was a complete waste of time, I thought. Even more so than the first round. Maybe just because it was like, oh, what are these people going to say? Who, what are the, what's their deal? It was like exciting, but now the second round was just like total, total waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, well, let us know what you think about everything on the timeline. Uh, hit us up on social media and tell us what's going on with you. And please donate to Media Roots Radio on Patreon. We would love to get your donations and support. We spent a lot of time preparing these episodes for you. And we hope that you enjoyed this one. Just uh, a lot of shit talking. 
and a lot of um, just unloading because it's just been a very anxiety ridden couple months. So uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for yeah listening and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, everybody. Be Peace out, y'all.